Indeed, the devil will take your soul. And you know what's funny? This uh, whole discussion that we're having in general for years now, election fraud, is all coming full circle. And you know, maybe I'm salty. I totally am. I, I admit it. I'm salty. Salty as heck as to how people can talk about a report that's been there since 2017 that someone has been trying relentlessly to get a hold of through lawsuits, and yet they're going to talk about it like they know what they're talking about. Let's uh, acknowledge Rob and Jalen, who actually served Halderman. The question is, it was unsealed now, so what does that mean? What does that tell you? Think uh, in the lines of hopium without giving the hopium. See, that's the problem that we have. We have people pretending to know what they're talking about. Like I saw people talking about this and it's like, shut up. You had no idea it existed. You know what the funny thing is? If I knew about it and had been talking about it for years, if I obviously knew the content, well, because it's identical to the whole plan in the first place, right? We got to remember who it was that talked about Georgia the most. And I tried to play it and something happened here and some heart chakra stuff came up. But I think it's important that we rewatch this quickly. And remember Obama and his Georgia on his mind. Because it was funny, you know, how a closet was busted up, but the one in West Brunswick in Georgia was the one that gave them what they needed. Well, they thought they did, but then they got caught. Many stories and will be told for generations, but this election had many firsts. Yep, 2020 does. And, be told for generations, but and it will. One that's on my mind tonight is about a woman who cast her ballot in Atlanta. She was born just a generation past slavery. And tonight, I think about all that she's seen throughout her century in America. The heartache and the hope, the struggle and the progress. The times we were told that we can't. The people who pressed on with that American creed. Yes, we can. And yes, we can. Yes, yes, we can. We will impeach them all. And, and <laughs> let me say this. What I will make, I am making statements that I can back up. Kemp, as Secretary of State, possessed credible knowledge that the elections being conducted in the state of Georgia were corrupt and or highly not secure. And his actions in response to such information has legal and ethical implications. While there, there are specific crimes and consequences that vary on jurisdiction and legal framework, here is what we, the people, are going to do. Failure to report. If the Secretary of State knowingly conceals or fails to report evidence of election corruption, and corruption meaning that they're not safe and secure, according to the AHABA Act of 2002, it clearly states that there must be no doubt and no errors and no possibilities of hacking, which the Halderman report clearly reflects the things that are in my affidavit too. But, you know, he went into the more technical details. I went into the, hey, here's the bare bones. Now, while we say this, 
There are specific laws and regulations governing the Secretary of State's role and the electoral process in their jurisdiction. And that is something that we must be mindful. But in fact, we can charge the Secretary of State Kemp and Raffensburg, because he knows too, for election fraud. And in the state of Georgia, we can, because while others were upset that black voters got a vote, a vote and a voice for the redistricting that the corrupt rhinos did, which was completely out of pocket, the Supreme Court of Georgia has stated that the people can sue their elected officials and it's not considered a general grievance. Now, here's where it's not a fucking general grievance. Because I have an arsenal of information that shows that Halderman was being protected by SISA, was being told not to speak about it by SISA, right? We have those letters. We have that the lawyers for Dominion were also involved in the discussions of the Halderman report. We have that. And now we have the report. Which means now it's Georgia's turn. Election fraud. If the Secretary of State actively participates in the corrupt practices or have this, facilitates them, such as tampering with ballots, manipulating voter registrations, or engaging in any form of election fraud, they could be charged with a range of election-related crimes, including fraud, conspiracy, or tampering with official documents. Now, the fact that he allowed elections to happen, knowing the vulnerabilities of those machines that were spelled out in a court of law, well, that's considered election fraud. But we can also report him for another thing, dereliction of duty. The Secretary of State is responsible for overseeing the elections, knowingly neglecting their duties to ensure fair and secure elections, they will be held accountable for dereliction of duty to ensure fair, <laughs> the dereliction of duty, man, breach of public trust, I can keep going, right? Because this charge that we will go for will stem from their failure to take appropriate actions and address the issues to protect the integrity of the electoral process. Now, again, we have everything we need. You've always had everything you need. You just had a lot of rubbish floating around, you know, with people wanting to sell fucking socks, gold, silver, and Patriot supply. Vitamins. It's important to note that these are specific legal consequences that can occur, that will occur. I don't make promises. You know, that's one thing I don't like to do. I don't, I don't, I don't like to make promises. I make statements. I can tell you that the avenues that we have are um, very specific. Uh, I do not believe that the Georgia law says that if uh, someone is found to be guilty of a crime, either that be through civil or criminal court, that is an elected official, it's not an immediate um, impeachment and removal. But here's what we do need. We need to start tackling our Georgia House and Georgia Senate. All of us should. I have formulated something like that on the side. Now, according to the Georgia Constitution, according to Article 4, Section 2, Paragraph 4 of the Georgia Constitution, the impeachment and removal of statewide elected officials, including the Secretary of State, occurs in the following steps. First, we have impeachment proceedings initiations. We will proceed that 
uh, by having our lawsuits filed in the state of Georgia. A resolution for impeachment must be introduced and passed by a majority vote of the members present. Therefore, I guess all of us will um, pool together, those in Georgia, and I know many other states will join, um, uh, to put together um, a resolution. Second, there's an investigation. Our lawsuits will do that. Impeachment vote. We need two-thirds of the House representatives to do that. We need to take Kemp and Raffensburg out in the same blow. Now, as far as Raffensburg, we can use the financial paper trail more so to remove him. But now we have ironclad evidence. There's no moving. It's done. They knew about this report. <laughs> and you know what nobody talks about? is the fact that it was unsealed and that they broke that seal all of a sudden on the day of arraignment of President Trump. That's because it's better they release than not. In the meantime, I am still looking to see, because you guys know that I subpoenaed Judge Tottenberg, who was sitting on the fucking report all these years. Um, I've been researching to see how we can hold her accountable for allowing elections to be conducted in the state. Is she not like a mandatory reporter or things like this, not mandatory reporting? Probably not. Maybe we should look into that. But this is where we're going with this. We just had to wait for, you know, God's time. It's going to be fun to see all these people skirt around the issue that I put on a ton of pressure to get this report out and how they're going to talk about it without saying, hey, there have been people actually fighting, spending thousands of hours and, and money and time on this. And yet now they sit there and, and, and report half because, you know, doesn't sell socks, gold, or Patriot Supply. I promise, I don't promise, I don't. But I guess it would be considered a promise. It's a statement, a future statement. I will burn every single one of them for the discussions they had yesterday, for the discussions they had the day before. It is incomprehensible to me how there are people like that. I loathe the bystander and those that aid those that cause harm more than the person actually causing the harm. I think they're more of a problem than anything else. Now, we have a lot going on, and I think it's important that um, we revisit a few things. We should revisit Representative Dean calling out President Trump's interference in Georgia during the Senate impeachment trial. You remember the one where they were presenting fake evidence, manufactured evidence in something that would be considered a card of law, but they all got away with it? Yeah, that one. I think it's important we revisit that. And take a look at where we are now. On January 3rd, Trump tweeted about a call he had with uh, a Georgia, Georgia election official the day before. He said, and I quote, I spoke to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger yesterday about Fulton County and voter fraud in Georgia. He was unwilling or unable to answer questions such as the ballots under the table scam, ballot destruction, out-of-state voters, dead voters, and more. He has no clue. On January the 5th, the Washington Post released a recording of that call, which had occurred on January 2nd. Remember, just four days before the attack on the Capitol. Here is what President Trump said. 
it's more illegal for you than it is for them because you know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. And, and you know, you can't let that happen. That's, that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer, that's a big risk. Let's be clear. This is the President of the United States telling a Secretary of State that if he does not find votes, he will face criminal penalties. Uh, well, yeah, he is. President Trump was right. He is going to face criminal penalties. He is because he knowingly and willingly allowed this to happen. See, the one thing about badass people is that they will tell you exactly what they're going to do. They will tell you what is coming and you can sit there and mock. You can laugh and you can ignore. But there we go. See, these, these are the videos that they're pushing around. But anyway. He didn't say it in the sense of how it's being portrayed, but it's quite important. There's another video. Here we have that dude, Matto, talking. And that dude, Matto, seems really, really happy. Oh, my God, we're going to get Trump. Imagine having a whole nation's agencies coming for you, using every ounce they can from media to state to federal agencies to take you out and they still can't do it. Now that's some juggernaut shit right there. Now let's listen to what Maddow's little snippet here had to say about the Georgia prosecuting, investigating Trump's attempt to overturn the election. <laughs> He's not going to do it. We are. Uh, D.A. Willis, thanks again um, for sticking with us. I wanted to ask you about the impeachment element here. This phone call between then-President Trump and the Secretary of State in Georgia is mentioned in the article of impeachment on which President Trump is being tried right now. Did the impeachment in that process have any bearing at all on your decision to open this investigation or, or how you look at your responsibilities here? Zero. None whatsoever. Just a completely independent process. Okay. We yeah, have... I, um, yeah, it's, it's a... I mean, if if we watch, so I just want to be clear, if, if we watch that trial and witnesses come forward that are relevant to my investigation, certainly we will do our due diligence and interview them. But um, whether there was an impeachment or not an impeachment would not change the fact that something occurred here within my jurisdiction that um, may be criminal. And if that is the case, it needed to be investigated. She was actually very, very, very careful with what she said. Now, let me take you back to four years ago. Four years ago. I want you guys to listen to this report. I'm sure a lot of you might not even know who this person is. But I'd like you to take a listen, because he may be important coming soon. Developed to be the next leader of Georgia and now a former candidate for governor faces fraud charges. Republican State Senator Michael Williams was indicted on insurance fraud and court documents now showing us he's accused of falsely claiming computer servers were stolen from his campaign office. You might remember his commercial during the Republican primary for governor. His ads featured what he called a deportation bus where he promised to round up undocumented immigrants. You know how they take you out when they when you're about to break some stuff open, you know, that stuff. Wait, do you remember how Governor Kemp signed a bill overhauling the state's elections laws? No, wait, let me let me take you to that one. I mean, 
that's what they do. They try to cover up. Didn't Secretary LaRose here in Ohio change some things for me? Don't worry. We got that coming, too. Let's talk about that Georgia voting law. Here's what's in the law that was signed by Governor Kemp yesterday. Uh, for mail-in absentee voting, you will now need an ID number, which could be a driver's license or state ID. That replaces signature checking. The law limits the use of ballot drop boxes, including the number of drop boxes in each county. It's now a misdemeanor to hand out food and beverages in voting lines, and some of those lines can be long, we remind you. Despite some of these restrictions, it actually expands in-person, early in-person voting for primary and general elections. Uh, so let's go now to CBS News uh, election law expert David Beckner for more on this. Uh, David, you've been following these election laws. What's your take on this one? Uh, good morning, Tony. It, it's, um, it's important to note first that all of these efforts in the states like Georgia are based on the big lie, based on the lie that the election lacked integrity when, in fact, this was the most secure and transparent election we've ever had. And the rush to pass these laws does raise concerns. President Biden was absolutely right yesterday when he called the effort anti-American. But this particular law, as it ended up, was kind of a mixed bag. As you pointed out, there are some things in there that are bad, and there are some things in there that are not so bad. So, for instance, there are limits on the ability of third parties to give people who are waiting in line food and water. There are limits on uh, Dropbox locations and Dropbox availability to drop a mail ballot off. Uh, the um, driver's license number requirement on a mail ballot is actually probably it could be a net good it's similar very similar to what they do in minnesota and it means they don't have to check signatures anymore which could mean that fewer ballots get rejected particularly because georgia has a very good automated uh, automatic mo voter registration system it, it, and it also um yeah go ahead well, i was going to say uh david in, in the weeks leading up to the passage and signing by governor kemp there were major concerns about some more restrictive aspects of the law that did not make it in what are those yeah, there were at least three big things that didn't make it into the law that I think it's great that they weren't in the law. One was a rollback of that automatic voter registration system, which leads Georgia to have some of the most accurate voter lists in the country. Uh, there was also a significant rollback proposed about mail voting. That is not in the law. There's still ample opportunity for mail ballot options in Georgia. And finally, there were some really, uh, really difficult to understand limitations around early voting, specifically around weekend day, Sunday day days when African-American churches push voters out to go souls to the polls. That is not in the bill. Currently, actually, even early voting is expanded in the current bill with two Saturdays and counties have the option to provide for Sundays as well. And David, as a matter of fact, this is a solution in search of a problem. There is not widespread fraud in this country or in the state of Georgia. And yet we have 43 states pursuing similar restrictions on voting. What does this, this passage in Georgia mean for those other efforts? Well, I think we're going to be keeping an eye on some laws in other states, particularly states like Arizona and Texas and even Florida, where um, mostly Republicans actually are passing laws trying to restrict voting, trying to roll back things that have been in place for decades that voters like and that actually lead to integrity. Their early voting, mail voting, it helps election integrity. It gives you an early warning system if there's a problem. And so states should be really looking for ways to expand the franchise and let people vote conveniently over a great number of days and it's unfortunate to see states trying to roll back those measures in this kind of rushed environment based on an entire lie yeah i think turnout would be something that all americans could
Well then, so we changed the laws, didn't we, Mr. Kemp? But now we need immediate gun law changes in Georgia. This is what's happening right now in Georgia. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why now? Why, why are they doing this now? It's a very good question, right? In response to recent violence and last week's mass shooting in Midtown, some Georgia lawmakers are calling on Governor Brian Kemp to call a special session. Democrats held a rally at the state capitol just within the last two hours. They're calling for the session to address Georgia's gun laws. Today, John Shearick is taking a look to see if new legislation has a chance of moving forward. The unexpected happened at the pro-Second Amendment Texas Capitol on Monday, following the mass shooting at the shopping mall in Allen, Texas. A bill to raise the age to buy certain semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21, narrowly passed in a House committee, only because two Republicans suddenly switched and voted with supporters. It just happened in Tennessee, after the Covenant school shootings in Nashville in March. Tennessee's Republican pro-Second Amendment governor, Bill Lee, called a special session of the legislature to convene in August to consider gun safety legislation there. I think we'll find an answer to that. Could it happen in Georgia's pro-Second Amendment Republican majority legislature, especially following the shootings last week in Midtown Atlanta? So the fact that the Tennessee governor has called for a special session, I think, has given a little bit of optimism that perhaps Governor Kent might consider the same thing. State Representative Terry Anulowitz, Democrat from Smyrna, and other Democrats in the legislature calling on Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp to convene a special session of the General Assembly to consider gun safety legislation, which they say has broad public support. And so we've, we've got to, as a legislature, reflect the conversations that are happening in our community. People who are saying, okay, what can we do? Enough is enough. What can we do? Governor Kemp's office has not yet responded to requests for comment about a special session. Democrats know the chances are slim. State Representative Michelle Al, Democrat from Johns Creek, believes GOP leaders will start hearing from their voters. I think that many voters are coming to the point where they realize that this cannot continue to be an ideologic issue or a political issue. This is a real-life issue that deserves to be dealt with. Their focus? Building on grassroots support now, even if there is no special session. Aiming to bring the bills ultimately to a vote at the next regular session, which begins in January. In Atlanta, John Shearick, 11 Alive News. And our team is... So where do we go? What do we do? Right? We're literally living in 1984. Ingsoc is a real thing. We're seeing it now. It's apparent. Here's how we fix it. Do you know that if you actually look at your state laws, it's almost impossible to remove clowns that get in there illegally? And while we all sit and we talk about these various rabbit holes of things that must be rectified and done, you know, I, gosh. There's so much we need to do on foreign policy, what's coming down the pipeline, the new pandemic coming along, you know, the new wave of health. It's chaos. We're, uh, like I said, this is a clown show. This is not a nation that is to be feared, not a nation that people respect. We have been pussified completely as a nation. The Secretary of State is a key position. I'm filing suits against the Secretary of State in Ohio and the Board of Elections. I'm doing my part as much as I can. That's why I ran. That's why I ran. People don't understand how that goes. It would have been great if I won, but it would have been a long shot because they didn't even let me get on the ballot, which is also 
a problem. And you'll see how that comes out in the courts. But right now, what we need to focus on is Georgia a lot faster and a lot sooner than I thought, actually, because of what they've planned. Now, you've seen indictment number one, New York. It's all BS, this, that, that. But they can take a stretch. I mean, shit. I was smashed up in civil court with stupid things. You know, they can wordsmith the crap out of it. And now with their AI systems writing their indictments, they'll be a lot more sexier, right? But what's funny is if there's a court finding, finding guilt on a criminal case against the Secretary of State for charges such as failure to report dereliction of duty and election fraud, that doesn't automatically result in impeachment. In fact, in the state of Georgia, just as many other states, impeachment is a separate political process. That should be a problem. These are things that we need to remedy going forward. We should be able to remove them without jumping through hoops. They're like the fourth unelected branch of government. You can't remove them unless there's a process. At this time right now, even in my state, the Secretary of State of Ohio is trying to pass a constitutional amendment to change, to wait, to disallow changes to the election systems that the WEF has so nicely given to him. This, this is where we need to be. This is what we need to be focusing on. We can't fire these people. We can't remove these people at all. And yet we're sitting here talking about garbage like selling socks in, in gold and silver and Nasara Jasara and, you know, rabbit holes that do nothing. So what? Let's pretend you round up XYZ. Let's pretend we do XYZ. All right. And then what? Your elections are still bunk. There's going to be another one. And then what? Your elections are still bunk. They'll take your guns. And then what? Your elections are still bunk. They will take your kids. And then what? Your elections are still bunk. They will take your money. And then what? See, there are things that we need to be focused on, and this is just not working for me. I am extremely salty when I see people focusing on things and when they go through rabbit holes. Do I want to sit and say a big I told you so? Yeah, I freaking do. I do. To all of you out there that had your ideas of chasing fucking ballots, you know, doing your stupid canvassing, which is just a hack. Okay? Nobody cares about statistics. Yes, they help on reports, but it's all bullshit. We don't need statisticians. Right? We need lawmakers. We don't need people telling us what the stats say. We need to change the laws. We don't need people telling us that they manufactured the evidence. No shit they would do that. You always have to have a tangible asset to match your soft assets. See, this is it. So now that we've spent all this time, it comes full circle to what should have been done in the beginning. These are all hacks for money, to raise money, to do events, to do things. And you know what's funny? You know Joe Altman, right? So he's a data guy. He's a data guy. And he saw what happened and came down with data that, ah, that aligned with almost everything I said in just a more technical fashion. And yet he was silenced too. 
Because the operation that was supposed to be deployed was half-assed, and then their counter-operation was pretty good, and then another counter to that by the alleged good guys. But the really good guys are the ones that are persistent, the ones that know, not pretend to know. And it's about time we realize what is really important right now going forward. We need to reverse course. We need to start at the beginning. Our nation was built on these rights that we have as people, right? Our first amendment right is that of free speech. Now, while the Constitution does not protect your vote explicitly, your vote is your voice, and therefore that is free speech. And everyone is so busy trying to take a piece of the pie rather than saying, oh, you know, if we all take a little piece, there'll be no pie left. Why don't we just focus in a more targeted fashion? on what we need. They're gonna take our guns. Well, you still can't vote, so you can't fix it. They're gonna take our kids. You still can't vote, you can't fix it. They're gonna force us to get jobs. You still can't vote, so you can't fix it. Yet here we are doing all these things, and I have to play along and just go with the flow because unfortunately people are not that smart. Obviously I'm doing whatever I need to do for me to make myself feel better that I'm doing things. But we haven't had fair elections for a very long time. The most fairest, even though they were hijacked too, was in 2016. Because we took out their ability to stop the vote counting and deploy their scripts. And that's exactly it. We are in this position that we are at now as a people because they have been separating us and putting us into boxes. Black lives, Asian lives, brown lives, pink lives, all white people are shit. That's number one. Student debt, this, that. How are you gonna fix it if you can't vote? Like this is me telling those on the left, how the hell are you gonna fix anything when you can't vote? Uh, we can vote, how are you sure you can vote? Did you vote for Biden to give $40 billion to Ukraine? Imagine how much $40 billion would do in America, a lot. I have to say one thing though, the more that I think about it, is how incredible President Trump's speech was during his inauguration. He said he was giving America back to the people and he is doing just that, sacrificing his life, his family, his businesses and his reputation. I know. I'm not like him. I'm not taking the hits he is. I know there's a lot of us out there fighting. I feel it too. Now from my badass calendar, the practice of taking things one day at a time is so magnificent and liberating. It takes the drama of forever out of the equation and allows us to be more softly put aside always, the old ways of being as opposed to dramatically chopping them off. It also allows us to step back and practice imperfection, process and patience by acknowledging that change takes time. And what we've been visualizing in our minds of a, a great America is something novel to all of us because it was never great as long as we've been alive. It was never fair, fair in the sense that everyone should have equal 
opportunity. That doesn't mean that everybody has a potential, but we give opportunities. We are supposed to be giving equal opportunities to every single American here, right? And we all know that. But what you have been seeing since 2015, imagine closing off America 250 with 10 years of insane change. And I've always said this. I mean, justice comes in on a donkey, never in a Ferrari. Now, we have President Trump under attack. And while many feel, oh, you're just boring, stop complaining. There's always this one symbol, either that be a flag, a person, a picture, an artifact, something that embodies, you know, your goal or represents your wants and needs, right? President Trump is just that. He represents the American people. He has put himself, and he's not perfect. He's not. He's surrounded by so many pretentious people, many of which are under scope for leaking and lying. And as we knew now with this indictment that I was right again, right? That the person that did it was a maintenance guy, maintenance for the surveillance, blah, 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 blah. The DHS cleared, blah, 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 blah. Right? This is not new. And even though I said it, and because you said it, well, I've been right. Let me let me guess. Am I lucky? How long are we gonna use the she's lucky? How many, how many times before it's not a coincidence anymore? I'm just thinking. I just want to know a number. Somebody give me like a number. <laughs> give me a number. Because I can show you a lot of instances where everyone has been completely. I'm going to just leave it alone. President Trump is our voice. He represents what the people kind of envision. Everybody envisions their own happiness. And if you were to ask people randomly, and I do, I do ask people, how would you like to see your country run better? I think, you know, the answers are all, I just want to be able to have a job where I can pay my bills and my kids are happy. We've reduced our living to the point of, oh, I just want to be content. And so, you know, is that okay? Is that the value? You know, there's life, right? Life has a value of like, let's say $10, right? If you're, uh, you know, a shitty person that's, you know, in and out of jail for robbing people on the street and pickpocketing, the life value is $10 plus maybe like $2 because you must have done some good in your life somewhere. And then, you know, what about the person that's fulfilled? That would be the base $10 of the life plus millions on top. We should always be thinking of, you know, what it is that we actually want. We say things, right? We make these declarations of what we want, but we don't exactly know what we want because we're all in survival mode. That's the way slaves are. Slaves are in survival mode. People that live are not. The boundaries between power and illusion are blurred completely. 
Humanity lives as unwitting pawns in a grand chess game controlled by unseen forces. The streets are, as you can see, in your neighborhood and in your cities are bustling with people. Their lives are governed by corporations that have ascended to unparalleled dominance. Yet behind this facade of prosperity and progress lies the sinister truth, right? Because behind this facade of people bustling around, going to their cubicles, having their jobs, grinding, getting a mortgage, raising kids, you know, buying a car, getting a dog, all of these things, there's this underlying sinister truth that no one wants to talk about. Deep within the intricate web of control, the enigmatic people who don't exist hold the strings. They manipulate the corporations with an agenda that defies comprehension. These beings are shrouded in mystery, transcend the limitations of mere mortals, of course. They exist in a realm where secrets are born, decisions are made, and the destiny of humanity is shaped. Now you might think, oh, that's the WHO, the WEF, the UNO. But my fellow listeners and family, they're controlled too. In their boundless pursuit of power and ultimate knowledge, wanting to be so godlike, these people who don't exist have, divide, have divided mankind, I would say, in cohorts, devising the dark purpose of humanity. The experiments, the alterations, and even the killings that plague the human population are but pieces of the grand design their actions serve a greater goal, one that remains concealed from the eyes of the oppressed. Through their scientific endeavors, the people who don't exist seek to unlock the full potential of the human body and mind, right? They perceive humans as mere vessels, vessels that can be enhanced, modified, and controlled to serve their inscrutable ends. By subjecting humanity to unimaginable trials, they hope to unearth hidden capabilities, tapping into a, a wellspring of untapped potential that lies dormant within every human soul. The motives behind this uh, callous manipulation are multifaceted. The people who don't exist crave the knowledge and the power that surpasses mortal comprehension. They view humanity as a vast tapestry of possibilities, seeking to exploit its genetic diversity and cognitive capacities for their own mysterious purposes. And during their relentless quest through the eons, they strive to shape a race that transcends the boundaries of conventional existence, allegedly. But as humanity right now has endured suffering at the hands of these unseen overlords, whispers of resistance were growing louder for the past century. A select few individuals 
disillusioned by the shadows that cloak their existence have glimpsed the truth. And this is how they were united by this burning desire for freedom because freedom is not free. You must fight for it. And this is how the seeds of rebellion against the puppet masters, while the ink was not even dry when it was signed, were sown. This intricate tapestry of corporate control and hidden manipulators is just a battle for humanity's soul. As the oppressed you strive to awaken and you unravel this secret of people who don't exist, you can actually reclaim your governance, your self-governance. And so the stage is set and the pieces are in motion and the fade hangs in, in the balance, one would say. But whose balance? It's the people that have to do something. Don't be upset if you're not pushing the car out of the ditch. You're just spectating. You should start pushing. Because there are people who don't exist, people you have no idea who, who they are, <laughs> who they work for probably themselves. I think I need to start working more for me. I need to be a little selfish sometimes. I find it difficult to taper that in. I guess it would be selfish when I want to serve others, I guess. Who knows? But you know what's funny? This whole genetic manipulation, enslaving people, you know, I, if we, if we want to, just to, just to end this first segment of the show, right? Because um, I want to delve into the things happening with the whole Biden stuff. But I mean, even in time, in ancient scriptures, you look at Aztec, you look at Mayan, you look at Sumerian, you look at green tablets of Thoth, you look at Indian mythology, you look at Chinese history, they always tell you that there's those smarter people that were genetically manipulated. I mean, you know, the Greeks gave us math and science, but they were just making shit up about genetic manipulation, weren't they? All right, so let's switch gears and get going on this whole Biden stuff, which is coming pretty quick and hot. Now here's a one of my favorite mashups. Enjoy. Funky Comodina and the devil went down to Georgia. Two fantastic tunes. All right, so let's shift some gears. Let's talk about Biden. Let's talk about bribery schemes that we already knew about. Now, I wrote about them. We talked about them. But it's news now. It's a shock comment from, you know, so many of them. They're so shocked, right? Shocked. Let's listen to them being shocked. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Senator Hawley. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Abadi, let me just stay with you. You just started to answer Senator Blackburn's question that not releasing the 1023 or talking about it as a matter of life and death, question of life and death, you said. Explain. It is potentially a question of life and death For with, whom? with regard to the source of the information. So, okay, so now we've confirmed that the document exists. That's progress because the FBI director initially denied that it exists. Why did he do that? We, we have already and previously acknowledged the existence of the documents. Yeah, after you first denied it. Now, when a member of this committee read it, right, the FBI director, let's just get the record straight. The FBI director initially said it doesn't exist. Then Senator Grassley said, I've read it. Then he said, oh, okay, well, gotcha. I guess it does exist. Now you're going back and forth with members of this committee, what's in it. Why don't you just release it? Is it classified? The document is not classified. Okay. Will you commit to releasing it? Senator, we'll take that back and we will work with you and this committee. Uh, so how about just a yes or no? Will you commit to releasing this unclassified document that alleges that the President of the United States, the President of the United States, has taken $5 million or more in bribes from a foreign nation. The document has already been released pursuant to a subpoena to the House Oversight Committee. Has it, it been released will, to this committee? We work with this committee within the parameters that are established to meet Will you the release the document to the public? It's unclassified. Don't you think the American people have a right to see it? Uh, Senator, the document, as you know, contains sensitive information that has bearing on the life of the source of the information, potentially. You can redact the source's name. We do this all the time. In some instances, Senator, and I know you know this, that is not sufficient to protect people. And that's what we strive and work to do each and every day. And I hope you would take that seriously, too. Oh, I take it very seriously. But I also take seriously the fact that your institution has repeatedly abused its authority, has repeatedly targeted political opponents. Your institution is the one that went to the door of pro-life protesters with SWAT teams to try and intimidate people because of their speech. Your institution is the one that treated parents as domestic terrorists because of their speech. Your institution is the one that, according to the court, the FISA court, ran 278,000 unwarranted, probably illegal queries on Americans, right? That was your institution, correct? There, the, with respect to the compliance incidents, yes, some of the other things you cited, we can take them one by one. They are not compliance. You, you would characterize the unlawful querying 278,000 times of American citizens as compliance issues? We've said before, I've said that the totally unacceptable. Who's been fired for it? Individuals involved uh, are handled through the disciplinary process. Who's been fired for it? We have, there, in, the, in the case of the uh, unintentional instance where something similar happened, we have fired people in the past. Wait, I, I'm sorry, what, what, what does that word salad mean? The unintentional instance where some, what, what does that mean? Who's been fired for the 278,000 times that you improperly or illegally queried the database for American citizens? When we Anybody? When we find intentional incidents, well, you're saying that the 278,000 queries were unintentional? I believe that's correct. Wow. 278,000 times American citizens' information was queried by your agency unintentionally? That's your testimony? Dang. Dang.
Tell me how dumb that sounds. Unintentional 278,000. Well, let's unpack that. How can it be unintentional? Oh, wait a minute. You mean that they're using AI to mine data? You mean how I told everyone in November of 2020, if you bank with Wells Fargo, Chase, or Bank of America, send off letters and ask them if they provided your information without your, without your permission or a valid warrant violating FINRA mm, database, hmm, mass queries, hmm, unintentional. I'm giving you the answer already. Hopefully you get it. I would want to go back and check that, Senator. Uh, but well, that's yes, what you my just told me. My understanding is that the vast majority of Well, wait, the, that's different. You just said it was. You just said it was unintentional. Now it's the vast majority. Which is it? Do you know? I would want to go back and check it. So you don't my know. My understanding is that likely all are were unintentional. Likely in, all. So first nature. it was all. Can we go back to, what does it say? Senate Judiciary Committee Probe Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Are you paying attention? How many times over the years have I talked about the 702, Section 702, the overcollection? Hmm? How many times have I said that? I think I've been saying that so long that I'm blue in the face. How many times have I said that? And then the question is, okay, let's pretend I'm Josh. Why would I be talking to him? I would have the IG of the NSA. I would have the head of the NSA in front of me. I would ask the IG of the NSA, Robert Storch, uh, how is this unintentional? See, this is all a pony show, even though you're getting some real information this is almost like, you know, the long way to the destination. Why would you have him? Query. Query. Damn it. God, I, you know, sometimes I just have to stop and collect myself before I say things that I don't want to say. They keep having the wrong damn hearings. We don't have proper hearings. We need the IG of the NSA and the NSA director and DHS front and center. But I guess we're still doing this clown show. They all need to be reelected. They all need money for their campaigns, right? You all think that Jim Jordan's on your side too. All of them. Then it was vast majority. Now it's likely. So you don't know is the answer to the question. I don't know the answer as we sit here today, but I will Could find have started out. Started with that, probably. Who was fired for the lies to the FISA court for the Carter Page warrant? Who 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 was fired for that? Anybody has anybody been held accountable for your institution deliberately lying to a FISA court? Yes, in fact, someone was. In September of 2016, Carlin had to resign. So yes, Josh, that has happened. Bullshit questions. Somebody send him a dollar to get a wiretap on an ongoing presidential campaign? There is an ongoing disciplinary process with respect to individuals involved in that. Here's the deal. You're back in front of us asking for the reauthorization of extraordinary authorities. Multiple courts have uncovered extraordinary abuses perpetrated by your agency. You are at the same time concealing information 
about serious allegations made against the President of the United States, even as your institution also targets his chief political opponent in an unprecedented way. Why would we ever give you the blank check that you want to continue surveilling American citizens in an improper manner? Why would we ever do that? Senator, we're here to talk about reforms today. I did get confirmation that the query... No, we're not. We're here to talk about the reauthorization of Section 702. Why would we reauthorize it, given your track record of abuse and illegal improper surveillance and political targeting? Why would we do that? Why would it be appropriate for this body to do that? We've made significant reforms and implemented corrective measures. We've seen significant progress as a result of that, Senator. The... uh, so you Queries say. that you mentioned early were, in fact, unintentional. That's what I was just told by my counterpart. That, that is an amazing. The earliest question, to, the earlier to, question. So your testimony is the 280,000 queries of American citizens was unintentional. That's your final answer? That's how they were assessed by that team that did the review. I'm not satisfied with that. That's yeah, why I don't believe that. Listen to what he said. That is the assessment of the team that did the review. So why are we talking to him? We should be talking to the team that did the review, not him. Not him. We should be talking to the team that did the review. Who is the team that did the review? That is who we should be talking to. But now we have Ted Cruz itchy in his human suit as always asking questions to deputy director of the fbi abate about the alleged biden family wrongdoing now while most of this information that you're going to hear is redundant you already know there are key things we need to listen to and this is where it gets fun Thanks to the staffer for passing the questions on. I appreciate you. For statutory changes, Mr. Chairman, thank you. Thanks, Senator Osso. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen, every day when I'm home in Texas, I hear from Texans who are deeply dismayed about the growing politicization and weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI. If you are not, every one of you should be deeply concerned about the damage being done to the integrity of the institutions in which you operate. My office hears regularly from FBI agents and from assistant U.S. attorneys who are likewise concerned about the politicization and weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI, and this is profoundly damaging to the rule of law in our nation. Last month, a whistleblower brought to light the existence in the FBI of a report in FD 1023 in which the informant alleges that President Biden and his family members engaged in a $5 million bribery scheme during his time as Vice President. Deputy Director Abadi, is it true that the FBI has a report making those allegations? Uh, I'm not going to comment on that, Senator. And why is that? I'm just not going to comment on uh, information we received, investigations. Do you owe an obligation to the American people to be candid about evidence of corruption by the President of the United States? This is uh, an area that I'm not going to get into with you, Senator. Well, I understand you don't want to, and that's why people are mad at the FBI, because you're stonewalling and covering up serious allegations of evidence of corruption 
from the president. Yesterday, Senator Chuck Grassley stood on the Senate floor and alleged that there are 17 recordings of this informant from Burisma, Ukrainian natural gas company. 15 of them are recordings, voice recordings of him talking to Hunter Biden. Two of them are voice recordings of him talking to Joe Biden, Deputy Director Abate. Does the FBI have 17 voice recordings laying out evidence of a bribery scheme? Senator, I'd add all, I would add also that uh, we've worked with the House Oversight Committee. Yeah, this is the, the Senate. We're the other side of the Capitol. This is the Senate. Do you have those 17 recordings? I'm not going to comment on any investigative matters, Senator. See, that's the problem. The FBI, and I've had this conversation with Chris Ray too, this is why you are damaging the institution. The American people have a right to know whether there is serious, credible evidence that the President of the United States took a $5 million bribe. And by the way, if it's false, Chairman Durbin just rolled his eyes. If Chairman Durbin were interested in the rule of law, we would have a hearing on these allegations. But of course, the Democrats don't want a hearing on the, these allegations. And to be clear, if the allegations are false, you know who could disprove them? Joe Biden. He could call for this to be released publicly. But the FBI is stonewalling. Would two, you agree? Two things, Senator. No sure. one's stonewalling. The 1023 you just said you refused was provided to answer the question. in response to a subpoena. Okay, the then House why'd you Oversight refuse to Committee. answer my the, question? The pertinent information is there, and I reject your assertion that the why FBI is Why did you refuse to answer my question? I just answered your question. Okay. So, yes, you have a 1023. Do you have the 17 recordings? Yes or no? I'm not going to get further into that. So subject. you're stonewalling. You can't say I'm not refusing to answer your question, but I won't answer your question. I'm going to answer within the parameters that we operate in. Here. That's the problem. The FBI has right now an unlimited hubris that you believe you are unaccountable. You don't believe you're accountable to the United States Congress, and you don't believe you're accountable to the American people and you are doing damage. The FBI is a great institution. When I go home to Texas, people ask me, should we abolish the FBI? Now I tell them no, because you have heroes and patriots working for you that are catching child predators, that are catching terrorists. But you're sitting there happily erecting a wall to protect Joe Biden. Will you provide to this committee not the House, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Will you provide the FD 1023 and will you provide the 17 recordings so we can assess what is the evidence, the specific credible evidence that Joe Biden personally took a $5 million bribe from a foreign national? Senator, we will work with this committee, you and other members, to provide uh, the information within the parameters of the process. Will you provide the FD 1023, yes or no? I will take that back and we will work with our so team. So you're not answering that. Will you provide the 17 recordings? We will take that back and we'll work with you. So you're not staff. answering that either. Did you investigate in any way, shape, or form these allegations? Senator, once again, I'm not going to comment. So you're not going to say whether you did your job? We do our job to the very best of our ability. Well, not here. You're not answering a single question to the American people. And you may think this is esoteric. I promise you, millions of Americans are concerned. You know who isn't concerned? Not a single Senate Democrat. We're going to go through this whole hearing. Not one Democrat will ask a question about this. You know who else isn't concerned? The corporate media who is joining with the Democrats in covering up this evidence. If Joe Biden is innocent, 
The evidence should be made public and demonstrate that he's innocent. But if he is not, is it true this informant who alleged that he personally took a bribe was an informant the FBI had relied upon previously in other investigations? Yes or no? Senator, in each and every uh, investigation that we have, all the work that we do, I asked the you expectation yes or no is that every I logical avenue, avenue investigation be pursued I asked you a yes or fullest. no question. Are you going to answer it? Yeah, I'm, I'm answering your question. Was the informant one you had relied on previously in other investigations? Yes or no? Senator, we run down every piece of information. Every You're not lead. answering it then. You're refusing to answer it. So you're refusing to answer the question. To the fullest extent possible. You're refusing to answer the question. Senator, that time is in all instances. Senator, your time is It's disgraceful, Deputy De Director Abate. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. You know what else is disgraceful? How people forget how they got the database to check on the people. Uh, let me remind you. Myself for questions, Mr. Straka, you were, you were describing uh, some of the blacklisting uh, that you encountered in your life following these events. Is there, can you elaborate on that? Sure, I, do you want me to go back to the statement? Yeah, sure. Okay, um, well where I had left off, I had said that um, I had been permanently banned by PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, Patreon, my donor, and I was in uh, D.C. on January 6th as a private citizen, uh, not on behalf of any of my organizations. Nonetheless, uh, my organization, the Walkaway Foundation and the Walkaway Campaign PAC, both were permanently banned by PayPal uh, and, and Stripe and number of uh, payment processors as well as donor portals. Uh, we were first banned by MailChimp as an email service because we said that we were using the email service to uh, send and receive emails about planning violence or fundraising uh, for political violence. Constant Contact uh, then banned us, and after that we were banned by four more email services, including SendLane and MailerLite. Um, we, um, Let me stop you there. Sure. Uh, we have developed evidence indicating that Bank of America turned over all of their records regarding anyone who bought a cup of coffee in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Um, I, uh, I want to know what your perspective is on that, on the fact that uh, such a large private company would, of their own volition, uh, turn over so much stuff and seemingly violate people's privacy. Well, I think it's horrifying, and I, obviously I think that there's an attempt here to try to understand uh, who's funding whom. Uh, certainly there was this, uh, an interest uh, and who gives to my organization, things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm personal friends since January 6th with a fellow J6 defendant named Derek Evans who's running for Congress in West Virginia. Um, a major bank told him that they were canceling his bank mortgage and that he had 30 days to find a new bank to finance his, his bank mortgage. I mean, while going in th in, uh, through the most high-profile criminal case in American history. Does January 6th open the door to the need for the Congress to look at legal reforms so that uh, we don't see people of any political stripe barred from the financial world by virtue of their of their nonviolent politics? I mean, somehow we, the defendants of January 6th, need to be able to have some sort of a voice. I mean, even... I am probably one of the most high-profile people who was arrested in conjunction with January 6th. Nonetheless, I felt like it was a David versus Goliath situation. I mean, I could not keep up with the amount of 
of banning and cancellation and, I mean, payment processors, email services, donor portals. The government put me on a terrorism watch list along with every other J6er. We all have a designation of what's called Quad S. So when we go to the airport now, we have to go through hours of special screening. It's literally TSA told me this is the highest level terrorism list you can be on and still be allowed to fly. They follow you around the airport uh, with teams of agents. Sometimes they have dogs. They station themselves all around you at the gate. They bring special special equipment and uh, swab every item in your bag for explosive materials, your hands, your feet, stick their hand down your pants doing pat-downs. They do all of this in front of the other passengers multiple times when you're flying. People with misdemeanor charges, misdemeanor disorderly conduct charges. Well, this is very helpful because during the appropriations process, we can put riders uh, to prohibit the use of funds on some of the things that would seemingly violate people's due process. Mr. Strand, I wanted your advice on a legislative concept I've been talking about with some of my colleagues, and it's on the matter of venue, because we've seen a number of defendants drug into the jurisdiction of Washington, D.C., and uh, then they face a different jury dynamic than they would otherwise face elsewhere in the country. What would be your advice to the Congress about looking at some venue reform uh, to give, give defendants uh, the ability to face these charges where they're from? Well, thank you, Congressman. And I, I couldn't stress the importance of that more. Um, I, I'm going to take it back from the future and say, right now, I am about to walk in, I'm about to go to prison for almost three years. I did nothing wrong. And the only reason that happened, uh, not the only reason, but the main reason it happened so easily is because I was denied the constitutional guarantee of a fair trial by a jury of my peers. Not only that, but my sentence was worsened by a judge who explicitly said from the bench on the record, read the transcript, that he was furious at me for criticizing the government publicly. Specifically, he was furious at me for making the claim, which is my First Amendment protected right to do, but the evidence bears it out, that Washington, D.C. juries are entirely biased, flagrantly so. Uh, if, if I could tell the short story of my experience during my eight-day trial, the most interesting part was day one, which was jury selection. And this was not a random assortment of citizens fulfilling their civic duty to participate in a jury trial. These were people that were hanging on every moment, hoping to get chosen so that they could experience the personal gratification of, of crucifying someone that they politically despise. They, they openly important. admit this. Very important, that venue issue. Mr. Mr. Clark, uh, I have a question for you specifically. Do you believe you were framed by the January 6th Select Committee? Oh, absolutely, Congressman, I do. I think that, uh, you know, I... I was the only uh, person at the Justice Department, you know, at a significant level, the Senate-confirmed spot, who was interested in investigating the election. Well, I know that to be the case, Mr. Clark, and the reason I know that to be the case, and I'm glad I get to say it here in a public forum, is because I became aware of evidence that U.S. attorneys were developing showcasing fraud in the election. And, and perhaps that evidence would lead nowhere, perhaps it would lead to the crime of the century, but it should not have been squelched. And Bill Barr was suppressing evidence and stopping it from being developed that showcased irregularities, and, and not just irregularities, fraud, where people were fraudulently requesting those ballots. And I told my friend Scott Perry that on the floor, that I was aware of that evidence. And now I believe uh, we see you and we see our colleague Scott Perry unfairly targeted. And I want you and the world to know that if you had a willingness to stop the U.S. Department of Justice from rat-holing cases, 
and squirreling away information that would have been helpful to learn on that day, you were acting your patriotic duty to do so. And I, I am deeply ashamed as a member of this government, particularly at the way you've been treated. Uh, at this time, I'd like to recognize uh, Ms. Green for five minutes, and, and we may uh, ask an accommodation of some of our panelists. Ms. Green has invited a guest. I uh, apologize if I'm a little late. I'm in another committee hearing important business, FAA reauthorization. We all want to have safe flights. Um, I, I got involved with this real early on. I, you know, I was in Congress for three days. I think, Marjorie, you too. We were in Congress for three days when this all took place. Um, uh, I was probably the last member, if not the last member on the House floor that day. I'm an old law enforcement officer as a, for 30 years as a sheriff of a large county for eight years. So I stood at the back doors, the main back doors leading into the, into the, uh, the uh, chambers. I uh, had a conversation uh, with an individual on the outside. And, and anyway, um, it was a, a few weeks after that that I was approached by uh, then Majority Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy asking me to produce, to read the Senate version, the Senate reports, because you know the Senate, the Senate had some hearings early on, I think it was in March and April. So Kevin McCarthy approached me and, and asked me to, to read all those reports and, and write a report on what my feelings and my thoughts were uh, because of my extensive law enforcement experience. And I did so. I provided him a 14-page document. And, and when I looked at the report and the OIG recommendations and everything that I saw, what was wrong that day, January 6, folks, was a law enforcement failure, an epic law enforcement failure. When you, Kevin, uh, Leader McCarthy, now Speaker McCarthy, asked me to be one of the five on the January 6 Select Committee. Uh, I, I was honored to be asked, to, and then obviously Nancy Pelosi did what nobody else has done as Speaker, rejected minority leader's picks to be on a select committee. So we weren't on the committee, and she picked a couple of rhinos that, and, and that whole committee is all about Donald Trump. Anyway, so when you look at January 6th and you read the special event assessments, because I, I spent a lot of time on this, and when you look at the December 15th, the December 30th, and the January 3rd special events assessment, we knew that things weren't going to get ugly up here. It was quite clear. We knew that the Capitol itself, they, they meaning the leadership of the Capitol Police, i.e. an Assistant Chief uh, Pittman, who's no longer here, they had all the intelligence they had all the intelligence that it was going to get ugly up here. Extremist groups from both sides, white supremacist groups, I mean, high propensity for violence. They knew thousands of people were coming. And it was, it was glaring in that January 3rd report. It was on page 12 out of the 14. And it said things are getting scooped. And, and I believe, me personally, I believe that they hid the intelligence. It's like they wanted this to happen. I say that because you remember Harry Dunn, one of the first officers, he testified, he was one of the four. Harry Dunn's testimony says, he goes, I didn't think it was going to be any different than any other day. Kind of like the, million, the, the big marches they had in November and December, relatively nonviolent. He didn't think this was going to be like any other day. And so when you look at the, the hours and hours of video, you see most of the Capitol Police officers don't have any type of shields or stuff. It, it, was, a, it was the Metropolitan Police that came prepared. But the U.S. Capitol Police, I spent some time and I focused, I focused a lot of my time on the shooting of, uh, and the killing of Ashley Babbitt. I document this very well. I was probably one of the first. I think, Paul, uh, you said it as well. I believe Ashley Babbitt was murdered that day. Now, you say, well, how could you say that? I said, well, I'm a sheriff. I, I've had deputies shoot and kill people. I've had 
my own deputies shot and killed. The point is, I know a little bit about use of force. And what disturbed me about that investigation into Lieutenant Byrd is it never went to a grand jury. You want to have the vote of confidence of the American people. Send every law enforcement shooting, justified, questionable, whatever. Send it to a grand jury. It never went to a grand jury. Most of the people at the Capitol Police will even tell you. They'll tell you that, hey, this was a quick investigation. Lieutenant Byrd, and I hope when we have a new president in two years, that he goes to a grand jury. That shooting should go to a grand jury. And that's my commitment to you, Ashley, uh, to Ms. Babbitt. If I can do anything, uh, that should go to a grand jury at a minimum. My, my point is, is I'm just going to leave you at this. When, when you my point is when you look at it, all of this like this, it's a pony show. Now, I want to say something before I, I end today as I'm running around, and I will end with President Trump's uh, speech. Have you ever thought to yourself why everyone keeps getting canceled? I want you to think about that for a second. I have a company. I'm under attack by people. I'm, uh, you know, and it's causing me harm. That means I turn over information to law enforcement. Now, when PayPal shuts down your account, they turn over all information they have about you to law enforcement. Going back to the 278 incidents that were not intentional. I hope you guys are paying attention. When Twitter shut down all your accounts, that went to the FBI. That included your device IDs, your phone numbers, your messages, your email address. And that's level one. See, they can get a warrant for level two. Because if something flags on your account where they're like, holy crap, that person is fifth cousins with some guy in Russia that, you know, walks his godfather's grandmother's dog. We need a warrant. So now they have your email. That's just from Twitter. But what Bank of America did, they handed it over. Think why they handed it over. And here is why they're protected. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. Holy crap. I have a bank. My bank is called the Bank of Tory. Holy crap. I need to tell the FBI if any of my customers were there causing this crime of whatever it is. So I shut down their accounts. No, I'm going to give it to the FBI and say, all these people were there. I'm reporting a crime. Mandatory reporting, you know, kind of like that. Oh, no. PayPal shut me down. They give everything. They give everything. They handed everything over. And let's pretend that one of you had a communication with that fifth cousin of the dog walker of the grandma of someone, someone, someone that used to be KGB. Well, now they can get a warrant for looking at your phone, your phone records, your emails, your bank details, everything. Every little thing. For me, for example, I was banking with the same bank since 2020. They gave it a full three years from the day I opened it, and they decided to shut it down. Why? They wanted to be able to trick that we got to find something. They're not going to find anything. I'm I'm on that page. I'm I'm pissed that they did that to me. Roy Moore did that to me. (laughs) But it's okay. It's okay. Because, you know, I'm going to use that same statement that people say when they say, oh, they're looking at everything. 
I got nothing to hide. So that's the thing. You have to understand that when these companies are canceling you, they're turning your shit over to the feds. And some of them just do it to piss you off. Like the Twitch files, they were, that was done to cause me pain. And that's okay. Because we're getting the Twitch files. <laughs> Wait till you see the Twitch files. Who did the hack? Huh? Who did the hack? Huh? <laughs> see, that's going to be coming. But you know, justice takes forever. Almost like talking about 278,000 Americans' information being queried was not intentional. Again, the one thing that I see here during the hearings that I have a problem with is making it a Republican versus Democrat. We need to stop them and from saying these things. We need them to not say the Democrats did. We need to say the corrupt fourth unelected branch of government did. The people that are against America did. The commies did. Don't keep talking about party lines because that triggers the idiots that can't see past that. We need to be focusing on the issues at hand. And the issues at hand are ensuring that we can unite Americans. So we only have two types of people in America, commies and not commies. That's the way it is. Commies. Communism. It's been here. Been here. Now, just so you know, right, the handling of data by any company in relation to illegal activities or what they may perceive as illegal activity um, uh, is, is, is multifaceted and it can be in, you know, depending on the state and where they are. But in most jurisdictions, companies are bound by privacy laws and regulations that protect personal information of their customers. So, you know, for Bank of America, they'll say, well, we, we saw that there were illegalities, so we handed it over being nice. And it's like, well, privacy law says you can't do that even though you're going to use that card and you're going to use it in a court where we play with the magic wheel. This is why this case is going to be heard out. What is it? It's 2023, right? I'm going to tell you this and you're going to remember this. 2027 April. That's when the banks are going to be adjudicated for this. There's going to be an adjudication for this. Watch 2027 April. So, Generally, companies are obligated to follow the applicable laws and maintain privacy and security of their users' data. But when a company suspects illegal activities or believes that a customer has engaged in unlawful behavior, they may have an obligation to report sus suspicions to law enforcement authorities. However, the actual process of sharing customer data with law enforcement typically requires a legal basis, such as a warrant, a court order, or Another lawful request. Another lawful request. So, remember that. Another lawful request. Now we have to elaborate on what is lawful, but, you know. Now, I wanted to close today out with um, President Trump's speech um, after his arraignment and after the seal was broken. But before we do that, I wanted to remind you right? That Judge Cannon is, you know, jumpstarting on the oversight of Trump's classified documents. And all attorneys of record, you know, they're all on the same page. 
And Cannon's order allegedly shows that there's highly sensitive and classified materials. I don't know what those are, but we'll see. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they're going to get it because apparently now Trump's attorneys have to reach out to the DOJ to get the security clearances in order to try the case. They have to be cleared to be able to defend. So that's going to take a while, isn't it? So um, whether there's going to be a trial before or after the 2024 election totally depends on how fast the DOJ is going to provide these security clearances. I want you guys to know. That's one thing that we should look at. Now, another thing that I'm a little bit concerned is that another Marine recruit passed away all of a sudden at Paris Island. Um, you know, this is this is a big deal considering that, um, you know, more have been passing away. And uh, that's concerning. That is very concerning. Also, Zelensky made a very bold statement claiming that NATO will collapse if Ukraine doesn't when Ukraine had no chance of winning, they will take almost minutes for, uh, you know, Russia to take them out. But having said that, let's switch, let's switch gears by um, listening to President Trump. And I should make notice that Miami's Mayor Suarez has announced his 2024 Republican run. You know, I'd say... Suarez would be a good governor for Florida. I mean, since DeSantis has totally killed his, his run, his wife did it. But anyway, having said that, let's end today with a fantastic speech. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a great honor to have you here. And today we witnessed the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. Very sad thing to watch. A corrupt sitting president had his top political opponent arrested on fake and fabricated charges of which he and numerous other presidents would be guilty. Right in the middle of a presidential election in which he is losing very badly. This is called election interference and yet another attempt to rig and steal a presidential election. More importantly, it's a political persecution like something straight out of a fascist or a communist nation. This day will go down in infamy and Joe Biden will forever be remembered as not only the most corrupt president in the history of our country, but perhaps even more importantly, the president who, together with a band of his closest thugs, misfits, and Marxists, tried to destroy American democracy. But they will fail, and we will win bigger and better than ever before.
charging a former president of the United States under the Espionage Act of 1917 wasn't meant for this. An act for a crime so heinous that only the death penalty would do and threatening me with 400 years in prison for possessing my own presidential papers, which just about every other president has done, is one of the most outrageous and vicious legal theories ever put forward in an American court of law. The Espionage Act has been used to go after traitors and spies. It has nothing to do with a former president legally keeping his own documents. As president, the law that applies to- I have to interject, I apologize. The only reason that they would invoke the Espionage Act is because of fucking Boris that's next to him, where they have him linked to Russian intelligence. But you know, nobody listened. Everyone was too busy being thirsty, hoping that he could get them pictures. Right, Tracy? So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay, now let's continue. So this case is not the Espionage Act, but very simply the Presidential Records Act which is not even mentioned in this ridiculous 44-page indictment. Under the Presidential Records Act, which is civil, not criminal, I had every right to have these documents. The crucial legal precedent is laid out in the most important case ever on this subject, known as the Clinton Sox case. You know what that means? After leaving the White House, Bill Clinton kept 79 audio tapes in his sock drawer. They included discussions of U.S. military involvement in Haiti, discussions of U.S. foreign policy, both defense and offense, against Cuba, recordings of President Clinton's conversations with all of the many foreign leaders at the time. Think of that sensitive facts about trade negotiations taken from presidential briefings, discussions with the Secretary of State about conflict in Bosnia and much, much more. Very big stuff. Not only was Bill Clinton never even considered for criminal prosecution based on the tapes he took, but when he was sued for them, he won the case. Judge Amy Berman Jackson's decision states under the statutory scheme established by the Presidential Records Act. The decision to segregate personal materials from presidential records is made by the president during the president's term and in the president's sole discretion. You're surprised to hear that, aren't you? Any normal administration, even an opposing one, would consider that to be the end, but not the corrupt Biden administration. The Sox decision, as it's known, also states, quote, the National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, does not have the authority to designate material as presidential records. I don't have the authority. NARA does not have the tapes in question, and NARA lacks any right, duty, or means to seize control of them. This is law. The president enjoys unconstrained authority to make decisions regarding the disposal of documents. That's unconstrained to make that decision. Neither the archivist nor Congress has the authority to veto the president's decision. The Presidential Records Act 
does not confer any mandatory or even discretionary authority on the archivist to classify records. Under the statute, this responsibility is left solely to the President of the United States. Think of that. That's the decision. Think of that. Now, just think of that. In other words, whatever documents the President decides to take with him, he has the right to do so. It's an absolute right. This is the law. And that is something that people have now seen, and it couldn't be more clear. They ought to drop this case immediately because they're destroying the country. And this is why no other president, even those who kept far more documents than I, has ever been even investigated, let alone charged with a crime. Because the sham indictment put forward by the Biden administration included staged photographs of boxes at Mar-a-Lago, many people have asked me why I had these boxes. Why did you want them? The answer, in addition to having every right under the Presidential Records Act, is that these boxes were containing all types of personal belongings, many, many things, shirts and shoes and everything. As can be seen in the picture where someone, not me, I wonder who it might have been, dumped one of the very neatly arranged boxes all over the floor. They were full of newspapers, press clippings, thousands of pictures, thousands and thousands of White House pictures. The White House photographers, some are with us today. They took so many pictures and we saved all of them and they were in those boxes clothing, memorabilia, and much, much more. I hadn't had a chance to go through all the boxes. It's a long, tedious job, it takes a long time, which I was prepared to do, but I have a very busy life. I've had a very busy life. They make it more busy because you're always fighting. And under the Sox decision, there seemed to be no rush. I wasn't in a rush because that decision was a law the other picture that was so vile, you remember that one, it was angry and corrupt, was the photo staged by the FBI. And those that raided Mar-a-Lago, they were putting documents all over the floor. Remember that famous picture? All over, say confidential, said presidential, said all sorts of things. And it was supposed to be there like it was that way when they raided. It wasn't that way. They put them there, took the picture and released it illegally to the press. They took my medical records, my passport, my birth certificate, and apologized. They even brought a safe cracker. This is a professional safe cracker they brought into Mar-a-Lago. And they broke into my safe. And you know what they found? Nothing. There was nothing there. Nothing there. And zero. According to the Presidential Records Act, which was a big deal, I was supposed to negotiate with NARA, which is exactly what I was doing until Mar-a-Lago was raided by gun-toting FBI agents. I have security tapes of it. I gave them security tapes of everything. In a flagrant violation of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, which protects the right against unreasonable search and seizure. And Sebastian, you covered very well, I must say. Very well. 
I'm not the one who thinks I'm above the law. I'm the one that followed the law. I'm the only one. It's Joe Biden and his corrupt Department of Injustice who think they are above the law. Never before have the two standards of justice in our country been more starkly revealed. Joe Biden had troves of classified documents from his time as vice president and even as a senator, which was completely and totally illegal. In fact, other senators heard about it. Dick Durbin heard about it. You have to see his response. There's no way that's totally illegal. Took him as a senator out of a skiff. They were shocked when they found out. They actually thought it was impossible to do. Biden sent 1,850 boxes to the University of Delaware, making the search very, very difficult for anybody. And he refuses to give them up, and he refuses to let people even look at them. And then they say how he's behaving so nicely. Many of Biden's classified documents were in Chinatown, D.C. Chinatown, which is shocking considering his family received so much money from China. I wonder how many times the Friends of ours from China reviewed those documents. Chinatown, D.C. Others were unsecured at his so-called Penn Biden Center in Washington, which paid Biden approximately $1 million a year. The money supposedly coming from China and still other classified documents were strewn all over his garage floor, where his now famous Corvette is stored. He's so proud of that car. There was no security, and the door was left open most of the time, it was open. All of those classified documents, all of those documents strewn all over the floor, piled up like junk. Unlike me, who had absolute declassification authority as president, Joe Biden as vice president had no authority to declassify and no right to possess the documents. He had no right. Instead of falling under the Presidential Records Act, Biden's actions fell under a much stricter Federal Records Act, which has very, very tough criminal penalties. Yet nothing happens to Crooked Joe. Nothing happened. Have you heard anything about the big search for his documents? No, only me. Most and famously of all, Hillary Clinton set up an illegal private server in her basement. You never heard this story. With the deliberate intention of violating public information laws so she could hide her pay-for-play scandals at the Clinton Foundations or whatever. Hillary stored vast quantities of classified and sensitive information on her illicit server. Some of it happened to leak. It leaked into Anthony Weiner's computer. Remember Anthony Weiner? Into his computer. You don't want to be on his computer. And all of it was illegal because, thankfully, she was never president. She didn't have the powers to declassify. Thank you. Thank you. She didn't have the powers to declassify. It's a big difference. And neither did Joe. You know, Joe didn't have your mind. Have a drink. It's a little bit cooler than it was. It's pretty hot out here. Thank you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Great birthday. Nice birthday, isn't it?
birthday. Wonderful birthday. They were saying happy birthday. I was with I was with Eric and Laura, the kids. Happy birthday, Grandpa. Happy. And I said, oh, great. I just got charged with, they want 400 years, approximately. If you add them all up, a fake, a fake 400 years. Oh, thank you, darling. That's so nice. It's a wonderful birthday. Oh, we're going to make it into the greatest birthday of all. We'll make it into the greatest birthday of all. When caught, Hillary then deleted an acid wash. Nobody does that because of the expense, but it's pretty conclusive. 33,000 emails in defiance of a congressional subpoena already launched. The subpoena was there, and she decided to uh, delete acid wash and then smash and destroy her cell phones with a hammer. And then they say, I participated in an obstruction? Now think of it. That's called obstruction. There's never been obstruction as grave as that. She did this in the face of everything, and yet nobody did anything about it. The FBI and the DOJ protected her, did not issue subpoenas, did not use a grand jury, did not execute search warrants, and then the corrupt head of the FBI, James Comey, declared no reasonable prosecutor would bring a case. Can you believe it? And that was just one of many items. Hillary Clinton broke the law, and she didn't get indicted. Joe Biden broke the law, and in many other ways, we're finding out. And so far, has not gotten indicted. I did everything right, and they indicted me. But you know, we're serving as a great example. In the case of Bill Clinton's national security advisor, remember that, Sandy Berger? He was caught stealing classified documents from the National Archives, very big ones, very important ones, by stuffing them in his pants, that's pretty, <laughs> and putting them also in his socks. And he destroyed them and cut the tape with scissors, cut them all up. What Berger did was highly illegal, but he was given nothing, no jail time, nothing, nothing happened. There are countless other examples. Bill Clinton, who I happen to like, hard to believe, right? Before I did this, I was actually quite friendly with him. Nice guy. They should have used him a little bit more as an advisor on the 2016 election. He said, you know, you better get to Wisconsin, you're going to lose. No, we're not. You better get to Michigan, you're going to lose. No, we're not. They did. Bill Clinton lost the nuclear codes, and absolutely nothing was done about it. He lost the nuclear codes. The George W. Bush White House lost 22 million emails, a record. NARA cannot assure complete transfer of any of the Bush records. A document shredding truck was spotted on the way to Dick Cheney's house. Can you imagine? Hillary Clinton took hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of furniture, china, flatware, rugs, and more from the White House. And she wasn't prosecuted. How about that one? She took the furniture and the china. How about if Trump did that? You think Trump would have a little problem? The horrific violations of my rights by crooked Joe Biden's weaponized Department of Injustice are unthinkable. It's unthinkable what's happened. So bad for our country. Democrats all, they lawlessly pierced 
my attorney-client privilege with lawyers. What they did to lawyers, what they have done to our lawyers, our lawyers, all of our lawyers, they've done things that were absolutely horrible and unthinkable. The leaking has been unbelievable and highly illegal. They leak. We've learned more about from the Washington Post, New York Times, about the DOJ's boxes hoax. It's a boxes hoax than from prosecutors themselves. We want to read about it. You pick up the Washington Post, which is not doing well, or you pick up the New York Times. But they'll do better now because of these things. You know, this is the only way they survive, but they'll end up dying. But it's not supposed to be that way. We don't want to learn from the Times. We don't want to learn from leaks. We want to learn from the people we're supposed to learn from. It's like a leaking sieve in Washington. But we learned nothing about the Biden bribery scheme or special counsel Robert Hur's investigation. Robert Hur is doing the Biden investigation. He's a very respected, very nice person. Very nice person. Mine's not such a nice person. Mine's a deranged lunatic. <laughs> which are many times the magnitude of ours in both number and severity. That's the prosecutor that they gave. He has found nothing. He totally exonerated Mike Pence. I'm happy about that. Mike did nothing wrong, but he happened to have classified documents in his house. But they uh, exonerated him. And uh, Biden is a different story. I mean, so much. You have to really think about what I said as a senator. He took all of those documents. It's unprecedented. The prosecutor in the case I will call it our case, is a thug. I've named him Deranged Jack Smith. I wonder what his name used to be, Jack Smith. It sounds so innocent, doesn't it? Jack Smith, what's his name? Jack Smith, he's a very nice man. He's a behind the scenes guy, but his record is absolutely atrocious. He does political hit jobs. He's been known to viciously arrest a certain governor. You know the governor, Bob McDonald of Virginia, and absolutely ruined his life and the life of his family. All these wonderful family members, I knew them. Only to have the case overturned eight to nothing by the Supreme Court. He destroyed that man and he destroyed that family. And by the way, I will tell you, I'm here and I love you all and we can take it. But what these thugs, what these thugs have done to my family is a disgrace. I will tell you that. And I say it to all of the fake news because there's a lot of it back there. What they did to my family and that young man right there, he's answered more subpoenas than any human being in the history of the world. And you know what? They have nothing after all of those subpoenas, literally thousands of them. Congress, fake councils, Mueller report, all of this. All he did is answer subpoenas all the time. At least he's become very experienced at that. Congratulations. But Eric is fantastic. And what he and Don and Ivanka and the whole group, it's what they've gone through. And these are serious people. These are serious people. But what he's done to my family, what they have done to my family is horrible. He also tried to railroad John Edwards on a completely bogus legal theory that didn't hold up in court. It's no wonder this raging lunatic was shipped off to The Hague to prosecute war criminals using globalist tribunals. 
not beholden to the Constitution or the rule of law. Two things Jack Smith clearly disdains. You take a look at this guy. He looks like a thug. But then I watched him make a speech the other day and he was trembling because it wasn't his territory. He feels much safer in the inner sanctums of the Department of Injustice where he can be in his room and scream at people. He's a raging and uncontrolled Trump hater, as is his wife, who also happened to be the producer of that Michelle Obama puff piece. This total puff piece. This is the guy I've got. Don't forget this persecution is being done by the same weaponized agencies that for seven years have been running illegal psychological warfare campaigns against the American people, much as if they were trying to destabilize a foreign country. From the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, to the no collusion Mueller witch hunt, to impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, the 51 lying intelligence officers, how about them? They said it's Russia disinformation, and they knew it wasn't, which made about, according to some of the great pollsters that are right here, made from anywhere from a 10 to 17 point difference. And yet we still got more votes than any sitting president in history in the second election. And we actually did much better in the second election than we did in the first election. The fake dossier paid for by the Democrats. How about the fake dossier? Remember that one? You think that was easy to go home and say, hello, darling, how are you? When they read about that, it wasn't easy at all. Spying on my campaign, we caught them spying on my campaign. The FBI, Twitter files, and so much more. It's all been a battle of disinformation, one thing after the other, and all to protect the radical left misfits. It's also no coincidence that these charges against me came down the very same day Evidence revealed Joe Biden took a $5 million bribe from Ukraine. Took a $5 million bribe. But the FBI and the Justice Department don't even want to talk about it. They showed something on television tonight. It had zero time on the three major networks, zero. But my uh, impeachment had almost all the time. I think I had 351 minutes. They had no minutes. Okay? I think a lot of people are going to vote. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to vote. I will tell you, I just left Miami, and I've never seen love in the streets like that. I've never seen it. We've seen a lot of love. I've never seen love like that, because they know, they know what we all go through. They know what we've gone through, and they see it, and they're smart. And, you know, many of those people coming from Cuba, Venezuela, other countries, they've seen this happening to their countries. I used to say that the United States, if it keeps going this way, it's going to be Venezuela on steroids. And now we're buying oil from Venezuela. Can you believe it? We have more liquid gold under our feet than any other nation, but we're buying tar from Venezuela. And we're refining it in Houston, the dirtiest, worst oil probably anywhere in the world. And we're refining it so you can imagine what's going up in the air and our beautiful stuff we're not taking out of the ground and making a lot of money and paying off debt and reducing taxes still further, which we were in the process of doing. They want to distract from the real espionage and the real crime, so let's use President Trump to do so. Let's go out and let's indict President Trump so they don't talk about the $5 million bribe. Just yesterday, Senator Grassley revealed that the 
Burisma executive who allegedly paid the bribe reportedly has Crooked Joe on tape. They have 17 tapes, I understand. That must, he must be a nice guy to deal with, right? The guy from Burisma, nice company, they got him and Hunter on 17 different tapes, supposedly. But the FBI isn't showing them. Remember, they impeached me for asking a simple question about Biden's corrupt dealings in Ukraine. And now they see that once again, I was right. I was right. I was totally right. <laughs> Joe Biden and the radical left can take foreign bribes and be totally protected. Republicans all, you must finally get tough. You've got to get tough. You've got to get tough and you've got to show them. When you arrest your leading political opponent, we no longer have a democracy. When people are allowed to pour through our open borders and our elections are rigged, our country is in very serious trouble. When inflation is allowed to rage, when energy independence and dominance, we had independence and dominance. We were gonna be soon very, very dominant. Within six months, we we're gonna dominate the whole world with energy, make a fortune. We were going to be paying off debt and lowering taxes at a level that nobody's ever seen. And they came in and they ended it. But when that's taken away from us, when interest rates and taxes spiral upward in an uncontrolled way, when murders are allowed to roam, murderers, these are horrible killers, murderers are allowed to roam the streets of our Democrat-run cities unchecked. But the incompetent district attorney in new york indicts trump for a crime that everybody agrees every pundit everybody there is no crime but murderers go out and nobody ever even comes and knocks on their door and they know they're there and they know their rooms and they know their locations and they're roaming our cities all over and some of them are coming in right now through our borders but then you have a nation that as we are is in serious, serious decline. We have a nation in serious decline. If the communists get away with this, it won't stop with me. They will not hesitate to ramp up their persecution of Christians, pro-life activists, parents attending school board meetings, and even future Republican candidates, which they do. We must end it permanently and we must end it immediately. Now that the seal so important is broken. The seal is broken by what they've done. They should never have done this. This was an unwritten rule. You just don't, unless it's really bad. But you just don't. But the seal is now broken. In addition to closing the border and removing all of the criminal elements that have illegally invaded our country, making America energy independent and even dominant again, and immediately ending the war between Russia and Ukraine, I'll have it ended in 24 hours. I will appoint a real special prosecutor to go after the most corrupt president in the history of the United States of America, Joe Biden, and the entire Biden crime family. Name a special prosecutor. And all others involved with the destruction of our elections, our borders, and our country itself. They're destroying our country. And when I'm reelected and we will get reelected, we have anymore. I will totally obliterate the deep state. We will obliterate the deep state. And we know who they are. I know exactly who they are. They want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. It's very simple.
They want to silence me because I will never let them silence you. They want you silent. And I am the only one that can save this nation because you know they're not coming after me, they're coming after you, and I just happen to be standing in their way, and I will never be moving. On November 5th, 2024, justice will be done. We will take back our country, and we will make America great again. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great job. Thank you. Well, that was our president telling us exactly what we needed to hear. If people pay attention, you know, people need to start paying attention. A lot of attention. You know, when we were going after Project 65, Mark Elias, all the grifting losers were busy chasing ballots under desks that they would have dismissed anyway. And here we are, full circle. You are not the underdog. They are. Because they don't care about us. God bless.